Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit byteradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Dr. Lise Daguerre, and we'll be talking about her new book, Flashback Girl, Lessons on Resilience from a Burned Survivor. Lise Daguerre is a clinical psychologist in private practice for more than 20 years, the lone surviving child of unsettled and iconoclastic parents, she grew up all over New Jersey and Long Island. Following a horrific fire where she suffered burns on two-thirds of her body, she spent much of her childhood alone in a Boston hospital undergoing countless surgical procedures. In her debut book, Flashback Girl, Dr. Daguerre shares how she worked through the internal and external pain of her childhood to find a path toward love, health, joy, and life satisfaction. She credits her survival to finding her strength and resilience. For more information, you can visit her website, which is www.lisedegeer.com, and that's L-I-S-E-D-E-G-U-I-R-E.com, And from there, you can also connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So with that, I'd like to welcome Lise to the show. Good day. Hello. Thank thank you for joining us. I'm doing well, thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me today. I really appreciate your time. It's it's my pleasure, and and I'm really looking forward to you sharing your story. It's a quite a, a story um and you know right now i think you know, resilience can be a um a wonderful quality that we could all use right now so um let's 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 start with it i guess the beginning or, or at least the beginning of this aspect of your life the, the fire um would yeah. you mind sharing um what happened sure um, so when I was four years old, uh, I went on vacation with my family and it was the first night of that. And my mother, uh, wanted to, uh, barbecue our dinner and she went to start this fire using something that she thought was lighter fluid, but it actually unbeknownst to her was highly flammable household solvent. So she poured it on the coals, and uh, they didn't light, and she poured it on the coals again. And at that point, the can of solvent exploded all over both of us, uh, and we were trapped in that fire. And my mother, um, God rest her soul, uh, ran away and escaped from the fire and left me in it. Um, My father, however, saw me, and he came around, and he was able to just rescue me from where I was trapped. And uh, and I came off from that day with, um, as you said, a, you know, 65% of my body covered in third degree scars, which is the, you know, the worst kind of scars, uh, burns you can have. Yeah. Wow. There's just so much 
impact in there. Um, why? I mean, this happened. I think I read 50 years ago. Uh, so yeah. why why the time period? You know, why why do you feel it's important to get this out story out now? Yeah. So there's that's kind of a a two part answer, honestly. Um, you know. My intention, I started writing the book after my mother died. Um, I, I was not about to write the book when my parents were alive because, you know, they did the best that they could, but they really were very limited parents and, mm-hmm. and honestly wound up, my, my mother particularly, doing a lot of damage to me and my brother. And I didn't really want to write about it while she was alive uh, because she would have been very angry with me and, and she would be <laughs> yeah. hurt too. So yeah, I, you know, yeah. I waited until she was gone and then it took a while as books do to um, make its way from being written to being published. And um, you know, what I never thought of course was that my book would come out in this year of 2020 of, you know, such a challenge for all of us. And my book is, um, as, as you mentioned before, so it's Flashback Girl, Lessons on Resilience from a Burn Survivor. And, you know, this year in 2020, it seems like every other word people are talking about is resilience. But I had no idea that my book was going to come out during this time that is actually a time that every one of us could probably use a little help with resilience. But here we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know it's funny because I've I've had um, a couple authors, you know, just over this last six months, actually quite a number, talking just about the uniqueness of the year their book came out. <laughs> you know, I mean the idea of yes. book signings, you know, it's all virtual. You know, would be pretty much, you know, and um, and yeah. it kind of throws that whole thing, you know, on its head, but. Um, like you said, it, it really has created um, an environment rich um, for this kind of information, you know, uh, for people. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I really think that in this year, there is, there's certainly no one in this country who isn't having a hard time. Um, and I think there's probably no one in this country and maybe the whole world right now who isn't, who couldn't use a little help in terms of um, how do you get through tough times, um, holding your chin up, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and we're going to talk about challenging times because, I mean, you, in addition to the fire, have had several other um think life has thrown you some curveballs, you know, um, that, that kind of... Uh, maybe uh, strengthened that resilience. But one of the things that um, I was surprised when I read is that um, you, your experience um, was a, um, a critical component um, of the creation of the Consumer Product Safety Commission um, in the 70s. Yeah. Um, so tell us about that, because, I mean, you you weren't aware of that until later on? Yes. That is one of the quirky stories about this, um, about this book. Uh, so 50 years after the fire, I just started to kind of look at, I researched it a little and uh, after my fire. And I found that my, my lawyer, um, who had represented me after the fire, 
had, unbeknownst to me, presented on my case to the U.S. Senate as part of the, um, the backdrop for the Consumer Protection Act of 1972. And he had presented on my case because um, the quote-unquote lighter fluid, this um, household solvent, wasn't canned properly, and that's one of the reasons why it exploded. So I, you know, he was saying I was a consumer that should have been protected. And, um, but at any rate, um, I found out that I was part of those proceedings because I found my picture, the picture of me as a four-year-old horribly burned girl in the U.S. Senate records. <laughs> and wow. I'm like, oh, my God, that's me. That's me. <clears throat> and any anyone who's been burned can tell you, 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 you would know if it's you because – Right. No burned person is burned the same way. So I could easily tell, and it was my attorney, and it was around the time that I had them burned. I'm like, well, that's clearly my story. So, um, yeah. So it turns out that my attorney had a nickname for me uh, when he presented on my case, which apparently he did for decades afterwards. And my nickname was The Flashback Girl. And that's how the title of my book came. Wow. Yeah, um, that's I. I just find that amazing. And, and like, I believe when you said when you looked it up um, and saw that picture, that that kind of had something um, black over the eyes to try and you know uh, disguise you know, who it was. But um, I'm sure. Shocks, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm sorry, I missed a couple words okay. that you just said. Now I can hear you. I'm so sorry about that. Um, you no, were saying no, no. that there was a black box over my eyes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that, yeah, yeah like it, tr- it covered my eyes, but the rest of me was clearly my pattern of burns. Um, so I knew it was me. And again, it was my attorney. So I definitely knew it was me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's, you know, and, and I just think that it's, you know, like when you said quirky parts of it, I mean, it is, you know, it's just, um, it, it was kind of like, it was just meant for you to be able to to see that component because that particular agency has just um, helped so many, you know, and, and um, I mean, the ripple effect of that is it had to have been, um, I wouldn't say, I don't know if it was satisfying, but at least give you a sense of confirmed to purpose, I guess, in a way, maybe. Yes. Absolutely. It was thrilling to feel like, you know, my little tragic story helped people, you know, in a way that I hadn't known before then. Um, and, and that certainly is something I'm trying to do with the, with the book now is sort of use this story of what I've been through. And, you know, as you were sort of saying before, it's a lot more than that even um, mm-hmm. to, to reach people who are suffering and to, um, encourage people to keep going and, you know, hopefully to also give them a good read and, and some entertainment there too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things um, that was, that I like the new book is, I mean, I, I like the story. There was a wonderful story. Um, but at the end of certain chapters, you have lessons, you know, and um, so, uh, you know, it's obviously, part of the subtitle of the book. Um, So um, one of the, um, well, actually a couple of the the lessons centered around parenting and 
Um, You know, and the idea of uh, surviving a childhood, you know, when those, when their parents were, you know, you know, self-absorbed and, or, uh, you know, iconoclastic. (laughs) I looked up, I thought, I got to look this up to make sure I know exactly (laughs) what it is. And I, I read, I thought, oh yeah, I know a few people like that. (laughs) Um, But Mm-hmm. So can, can you tell us maybe um, your uh, kind of what, what what you wanted to maybe say about the idea of, you know, children whose parents are self-absorbed and, and you just look around and see how many parents are looking at their phone versus their kids or having conversations on the phone mm-hmm. versus their kids. So can you talk a little bit yeah. about that idea of, you know, what it was like and, and you know, as you know, a, um, a professional, what, what maybe we should be paying attention to. Yeah. So, um, I'm a, I'm a psychologist. That's how I, uh, that's how I make my living in this world. And I hear so many stories about people who, um, you know, were raised with parents who I'm, I'm sure, you know, I really do think that most people try their best. But some people are just not um, healthy, mm-hmm. and they're not able to really give their full attention to raising their children. And children do, at least for some time, require our full attention. Uh, my parents were um, brilliant people. They were amazing musicians and very interesting and highly educated people. They had a lot going for them, but they were not emotionally healthy and they didn't take the time to get emotionally healthy and so because they weren't they were very preoccupied with what they wanted and what made them feel good and what made them feel special and happy all of which is great but not when you have kids who are depending on you so they just were not able to be attuned parents to me or my brother and and I mean, to the extent that they really did us both a great deal of damage. And my brother, in fact, ended up taking his life. So when I say they weren't attuned parents, I mean in a way that was really dangerous. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things I talk about in, in the lessons, and as you say, at the end of every chapter, there's a, a brief little lesson where I kind of pan back away from the story of the, of the book and I kind of step into my psychologist's shoes for just a moment and kind of offer the reader, like, think about this, you know, think about this Mm -hmm. issue. And there are at least a couple lessons in the book where I talk about making sure that as a parent, you are in the, you've lived your life, you've had fun, and that you've done that to the extent so that now you can put that kind of on the back burner for, you know, 18 years (laughs) and really concentrate on giving your kids what they need emotionally. And I think that's hard to do, but I think it's really necessary. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, 24 seven, it is probably the most challenging role um, that a person would play, you know, in life is is that of a a parent. And, um, and, you know, I really kind of wanted to make sure that we, you know, brought this up because, again, I just, I see it around me where, you know, where the parents are, um, 
really, I mean, they're easily distracted, <laughs> you know, um, away from their children. And, and, um, yeah. and I just sit back and, you know, wonder, no, I mean, some of the times the kids are just, you know, as, you know, much of a part of the equation as, as the parents, as far as distraction, you know, so that, um, but, but you, mm-hmm. also, I think in, in your book, you indicate that you felt like your mother didn't know you and, um, mm-hmm. and, and that uh, something about being a, you being a good actress, you know, kind of playing the role. But I mean, I think doesn't, isn't that uh, a common um reaction maybe that children may have when their parents aren't attentive? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for, for people like me and God knows, unfortunately, there's way more than just people like me. There's lots of us who are being raised by parents who are about themselves. Mm-hmm. And when you are the child of a parent who is about themselves, um, most people who are are children of of parents like that wind up, you know, really trying to be very pleasing because that seems to be your best shot at getting any kind of attention and care. Um, You know, when you have a parent who's really self-absorbed, if you can be the kind of child that makes that parent feel good about themselves, Mm-hmm. then maybe you'll have a little bit more chance of getting what you need. So I was very good at pleasing my mother and my father, um, which is one of the reasons why I waited until they were, um, <laughs> you know, until they passed away before I wrote this book. Well, like, I, you know, I don't want to upset continue anybody. To, <laughs> you're going to continue to please them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Although they, I don't think they like this book very much, I'm well, sorry to say. But, but now yeah. they have a different perspective, you know, on things. So. Yeah, from heaven, they might they might have a very different <laughs> perspective. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you know, that's, uh, it, it is, um, you know, it's just one of those areas that I think, you know, you know if a parent really um, wants to help and empower the children, really kind of give them the attention and, and, um, and value, you know, recognize that value. Now, um, another part of, of the story of, of you – you know, spending your childhood and um, in hospitals, going through surgeries, and and, and just the whole um, idea of so much of your body being burned. Um, part of your story has to do with um, bullying, um, you know, and mm-hmm. disfigurement. So, can you tell us um, just um, maybe, you know? the experiences, maybe the range of experiences that you had um, when it came to bullying and in particular, maybe, you know, the the burn? Sure, sure. So, you know, after this fire, um, as as we said before, I was burned on two-thirds of my body, third-degree scarring, um, which is the worst kind. And um, I had, at the time, my my lip, my, my lower lip, my chin, my neck, had all been burned away, and all that had to be reconstructed very painstakingly, you know, many, many, many operations, um, many, you know. And during that time and for many years, I was massively disfigured and um, and kids were really mean 
um, at that mm-hmm. time. This is, you know, in the late 60s, early 70s. And I don't think there was much conscious, I know there was no consciousness about bullying. I don't ever remember mm-hmm. even, you know, that being a topic that, that people would talk about. So kids could be very mean. Um, I will say not the kids who knew me. I, I've, I've always been, you know, blessed at making friends. And I always did have good friends, even though I was, you know, hideous. I, I still had friends. But the kids who didn't know me could be just horrible. They would, you know, run past me, you know, saying yuck and like pretending to, mm-hmm. you know, throw up when they saw me. And I had people who wouldn't invite me to, you know, neighborhood parties where everybody else in the neighborhood was invited. And mm-hmm. I was um, bullied by a group of girls in middle school. I mean, like it was pretty darn bad. Um I think, you know, thank God, I think that um, bullying is taken much more seriously now, uh, usually by schools and and, and usually by parents. It was a very painful thing. And um, uh, I'm I'm lucky to be past that. I will say that even now, like I I look so much better and I'm, you know, I'm a woman in my 50s now. So um, you would think all that has passed me. But even now, you know, people do stare and... um, say things sometimes that can be um, hurtful. It's, uh, it's not easy to be um, disfigured, and it's not easy to be burned. And um, there's plenty of people out there like me. It's, it's, um, it's, it's something you have to really bear. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it is such a tough one. I mean, I just um, truly can't imagine, you know, you know, going through that because it's um, – uh, it, in a way, it, it defined you from others' points of view, you know. So, would you say what would you say was the um, you know for people who are listening who maybe have that going on in their life? Um, would you what would you say that was kind of um, a good way to combat that? I, I know I know that kind of self worth maybe plays into that. So, can you tell us maybe? How um, how one can combat that? Yeah, I think um, the, the the first thing, and, and and really, I think the most important thing is to be able to tell somebody that it's happening. Um, you know, if mm. if a person has good parents who will step in and help them to to tell them, uh, or or your teachers, or your guidance counselor. Um, or an older sibling, you know, to, to tell someone that it is happening because that way, you know, usually you can bring some resources to bear. And there are all kinds of things that kids can do to help themselves. Um, you know, sometimes it's um, getting getting a buddy to walk with you because uh, um, let me tell you, kids are not mean when there's somebody else to witness it usually. Um, mm. they, they, they get you more when you're alone. Um, so okay. that's something, um, teaching a kid how to, uh, how to say, you know, please stop that. <laughs> um, yeah. Sometimes yeah. teaching a kid how to make a joke about it. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of ways to combat it. But, boy, you don't get any access to any of those ways if you don't tell somebody that it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that is an important first step you know at least to, to get it and um now 
for parents of bullies, you know, um, mm. that has to be, um, I mean, it, it could go one or two ways. Number one, the parent would be just completely shocked and it's like, you know, not my kid kind of thing. Or the other one is, is that the yeah. kid is a reflection of, you know, a parent right. of, who, who has that. So, um, is how 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 would one help a bully <laughs> maybe kind of mm. change his or her way mm-hmm. yeah no it 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 is interesting because you're right i think a lot of parents of bullies um maybe maybe inadvertently they don't mean to but maybe they're modeling some of that behavior or they mm-hmm. might be in denial um, that their child has a problem. And let's be, you know, I, I feel like I want to be empathic about that. It's very painful when your child has a problem, you know? Yeah. It's very painful. Um, I, I, are you a parent yourself? I, I imagine no, that you I'm are, not. yeah? No, no. You're I'm, not. I'm actually okay. not. But, but okay. I can understand that. Okay. You know. mm-hmm. Right, right. You know, I think for most of us who, who have children, we feel like our parents, our children are some sort of a reflection on us. And if our kids have a problem, then that means we failed. Or, so I think mm-hmm. it's, it's instinctive for a lot of people to just say, oh, it's not happening, you know. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if you do that, then you, you deny your child the chance to improve. Um. So I think, you know, there's, there's a place for um, compassionate but firm, um, um, maybe the word confrontation is too strong, but clear and strong conversations. Yeah. Yeah, for certain. Wow. Um, well, uh, Lisa, we're about halfway through the show, so I want to take a quick break, and I do want to invite listeners, if you would like to call in and ask any questions, you can dial in at 619-789-4359. And for those listening live in the chat room, if you have any questions, feel free to post them there. And, and then when we come on back, uh, Lisa, I want to you know, kind of shift a little bit into talking about the pandemic, you know, kind of what we're going through and and specifically how the conditions that we're living under maybe affect uh, you know, that that need for resilience you know, um, and mm-hmm, unique, mm-hmm. unique problems. Okay, so everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us and hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,400 shows we have had over the past nine years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, photography, a wellness store, and self-publishing assistance. Our show is a free podcast on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on many social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc., 
and we also have buttons to those platforms at the top of our home page. Our website, ByteRadio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show, Lise. Thank you. (laughs) So now... Our our COVID nineteen days um, have um, obviously impacted everybody, in, 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 you know, mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, what would how, how does what what's your view that this pandemic the the influence that this pandemic has had on people's um, resilience or, or or their their ability to cope. Mm. Yeah, I think this year um, is the only year in my lifetime that I can remember that every single person is being called upon to be resilient. You know, usually, like, I don't know, some people are having a bad year and some people are having a good year, right? And uh, some people are in crisis and some people are just fine. But this year, every single person is to some degree suffering. And of course, some people are, you know, have lost loved ones or lost businesses or, you know, are, um, you know, living in fear economically or, you know, in terms of their safety. So this is the most challenging year I have lived through. And I think every single one of us is being called on to be um, resilient and strong and, and make the best of things and keep going. Yeah, yeah, it, it it's certainly testing people for sure, and you know, and now part of your book, um, the part of the story is four suicides that involve four suicides, and that's kind of one of the things I was referring to in the beginning of the show that you know beyond the burns there were other things you know going on. Um, uh, would you mind kind of, you know, because I think, you know, this is a time period where we're seeing more of that, you know, and, and because of, yeah. the, you know, unattended depression. Um, so would you mind talking just a little bit about, you know, it was, I think there was a, your story about you and your brother Mark was kind of an, a poignant um, story about suicide. So would you mind sharing just a little bit about Mark and kind of, um, the circumstances around him taking his life. I'm I'm smiling because I I would I mind telling you about Mark. I would love <laughs> to tell about my brother Mark. Um, my brother Mark was um, five years older than me, and he was my hero. In in as a child, and still to some degree is, he was my very favorite person. Um, you know, I mentioned before that my parents were not. Um, Parenting parents, they were not good Mm -hmm. at that. But my brother was, and he may have been only five years older than me, but he was super good at looking out for me and caring for me and um, helping me, advising me. He was just an amazing guy. Uh, He was a genius, literally. I'm I'm not just saying that. He really (laughs) was a genius. Uh He uh, graduated high school early, um, got virtually perfect board scores, went to MIT. He was 
super good at everything that he did. But he suffered a lot. Uh, He was a very sensitive guy. And I don't think it's always easy to be a sensitive guy. He had, um, I guess he suffered from depression. That's, That's what my parents would have said. And he was not looked out for, just the same as I was not looked out for. But I had my brother looking out for me, and he didn't have anyone looking out for him. And he slipped further and further into depression and using drugs, and he eventually took his life when he was 19 years old, which was the worst thing that ever happened to me. And I know people always look at me when I say that because, you know, I was in this terrible fire and I'm burned and all this stuff. And you would think that that was the worst thing that ever happened to me. But truly, it was my brother's death that was the worst thing that ever happened to me because he was such a treasure. Yeah. Wow. You know, and there was, um, I I believe in part of the story, talked about um, finding a a paper where – you know, he was kind of like fill in the blank, you know, and and in in his responses, there was um, a reference to killing himself or or dying. But, yes. Yeah. So, yes. Um, and and that had, how old was he about when when that happened? Yeah. Yeah. So he took some kind of he was like evaluated, I suppose, by a school psychologist, perhaps. And they gave him um, this sentence completion test where he had to, like, fill in the blanks. And so the sentence started with sometimes it was like, well, my mother is or my father says. And one of the sentence stems was someday, and my brother filled it in with, I would kill myself if I could. And he was nine or ten when he wrote that. Nine or ten years old. I mean, what nine-year-old, wow. ten-year-old says, someday I'll kill myself if I could, you know. But that's what he wrote. And, you know, as I was saying about my parents, he was not helped with that. Yeah. He wasn't, you know, he was not brought to help, which is, I think, tragic. Because I suspect that if he had been helped, he could still be here. And let me tell you, the world would be a better place if he were. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it is tragic, you know, and, and I, the reason I wanted you to tell that story is because um, I want my parents out there to recognize, you know, that um, there are things, you know, that those little signs, those little indications that sometimes, you know, you might just pass by. But if, if it's there, pay attention and, and do something about it because, um, you know, it's not just a – you know, wild imaginations necessarily of a child, you know? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, suicidal statements are not to be brushed aside. And, you know, what's the worst thing you do? You overreact? It, yeah. <laughs> like, if a child feels yeah. that you care a whole lot that they are feeling that way, that's not going to hurt them. That's, on, that's yeah. only going to help them. Yeah. Yeah, it's better that, uh, oh, mom or dad, what are you doing? <laughs> Rather than, you know, hello, right. where are you? Yeah, so, yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah that, definitely. So now with 
all of the oh, and, and again in, in the book you have four, so well, you know people can buy the book and read about the other three. But I, again, I thought Mark's yeah. was a really good story. Um, now you've had you know because of all of those um, you know kind of traumatic types of experiences. How how have you um, I guess empowered yourself you know to maybe um, you know, keep going, you know, to, to change maybe some mm. pessimism into optimism. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's, that's the, certainly that is the overarching story that I was hoping to convey in this book is that you can go through terrible things in life. I mean, I did, and many of us do, you know, life is not necessarily easy and you can go through horrible crises and, and problems, and that doesn't mean that your life is over or that it will always be bad. Um, some of us, you know, go through times of suffering, but we can recover. I think the yeah. ways that I was helped to recover are that, uh, first of all, I did have my brother. He was wonderful to me. I had grandparents who were wonderful to me. I had friends. Um, I got help which I think is incredibly important, is not to be so scared to reach out to people and say, I'm not doing well, I need help. Because a lot of us need some help with healing. And there's, there's, there's no shame in that. And I think it's yeah. just also incredibly important to have, as I said, hope that you can be, well, you, maybe you're going to have a terrible year. But that doesn't mean you're going to have a terrible life especially if you yeah. keep putting one foot in front of the other and you keep trying. Uh, so so yeah. very much the book is trying to get that across to readers that um, just because you're suffering now doesn't mean that you always will. And if you know somebody who's suffering now, that doesn't mean that they're going to have a bad life. If they're just having a bad time. Yeah. Yeah, very much. Yeah, and, and and I did like the the lesson on, on regarding that topic. Lesson number eight was don't kill yourself. It destroys the people you love. I thought, well, that was rather to the point, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> yes, because it does. Yes, it, 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 does. <laughs> it does. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. It does. Yeah, and, 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 and you know. Go ahead. No, please continue. No, I was going to say, because, I mean, I, I know of a, a young man who right now is kind of in that, that stage who has actually tried a couple times and and um, not succeeded. But, I mean, it's it's um, it's a terrible thing to see and, and to, you know, be around. And, and, you know, especially when it's, you know, someone young like your brother at 19 or this man in his 20s. Um, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, and I think the thing that's very hard when you're when you're struggling with suicidal thoughts, and when I say this as somebody who's loved people who've killed themselves and also as a psychologist, the thing that's very hard when you're struggling with those thoughts is that you believe that you will always feel that way. Um, that's mm. part of the depression is this sense that things are hopeless and it will never get better. But, you know, that's not true. I mean, nothing is hopeless. There's... You know, the world keeps turning, <laughs> and um, yeah. 
sooner or later, you can be having the worst time of your life, but sooner or later, it won't feel that bad if you hold on. But yeah. the problem is that people, when they're, when they're suicidal, they're not able to see that, yeah. um, which is why the rest of us have to step in and help because sometimes yeah. we have to protect people who are feeling that way because they they're not able to see straight, really. Yeah, absolutely. And and this young gentleman, um, he had this a girlfriend. I mean, he's had a couple of girlfriends since I've known him. But his, his latest love of his life, who isn't a part of his life anymore, it was like the the most you know. It was like the end, be all the end all. I mean, the, the end of the relationship was basically the end of his life. And I'm like, yeah. Well, wait a minute. You know, before you knew her, you know. Life was kind of maybe a little bit bumpy, but you found joy and happiness, you know, with her. So, you know, so you can see it's possible because you did it once before. But, but it's, yeah. it's sometimes difficult to to help someone because it has to be from within. You know, they, I would think, you know, that in order to be effective, um, that um, uplifting the the, the, um, the hope. Or, or possibly a positive outlook, you know, kind of happening, or possible positive future happening. Um, I would think that that mm. would have to start within. Well, I mean, I or, think it's it's great when they're able to 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 connect with that thought. But sometimes, okay. in the meantime, what we what we can do for people is uh, is let them know that their death will be a tragedy to those who love them. Um, Sometimes that's enough to help people keep going is to know like, Oh, you know, uh, my mom, you know, I'm just saying that you're somebody else. My mom will never Mm -hmm. get over this, you know, or, or God knows my children will never get over this. Sometimes that's enough to keep people going. And sometimes it's, you know, again, sometimes people need to be hospitalized for their own safety, not for long but for their own safety until they feel a little better. And let me tell you, you know, we, that's part of the work that we do as mental health professionals is sometimes we hospitalize people and maybe they stay for a week or two and almost always they get out and they feel a whole lot better. It yeah. passes. It passes. That's for sure. <laughs> Um, so now, and thank God it does part, pass. <laughs> I know exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know that's 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 the one thing is it's always going to change, you know. And and so um, if you're having you know challenging times, you know, just look forward to the better ones. And then and when you're having the good times, recognize that there, things could change, and, and very well may mm-hmm. at, at certain times, you know. And and then it's a uh, important to kind of. Um, recognize that that flow continues as well if, if you're kind of gone from mm-hmm. in, in that particular yeah, and, and I think a lot of families are going through that right now where you know the livelihood that they had pre-COVID you know is gone and and um, so that's uh, you know so for someone who never would have thought to have been in a food line you know to have to do that um, yeah. you know, those, those are the kinds of things that are happening now yeah yeah. Very much. Yeah. My goodness. So, a, um, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say it's it, and that brings us back to what we were saying before, yeah. which is that this is this is a year, um, a year of universal hardship. You know, 
Um, whether it's, you know, even just little kids who, who can't go to school to, you know, parents who are standing on that food line to, you know, people who are mourning somebody who died. I mean, it is just a super, super, super challenging year. Yeah, but we're exactly. making it through. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, we are. And uh, now, in part of this kind of dynamic that's going on, one of the things, one of the areas that is, is heavily affected are relationships. Um, you know, I've I heard someone say that strong marriages were getting stronger and those were, that were not so strong, maybe not, you know, lasting, you know, throughout mm-hmm. the, the challenges. Um, so can you talk a little bit about um, the, you know, what the dynamics of this period are on relationships yeah or is that too broad and, and i think you're right i think i think that there's um a lot of pressure on our relationships right now you know first of all it's it's harder to see um the friends and the family that we don't live with right so so we have that absence from good friends or good family or people who live further away, we we are not able to see them and visit them, and that puts a lot of strain. And then for the people we do live with, we are with them all the time. (laughs) And, you know, most of us aren't used to being together all the time. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I, I think, you know, it's hard to be with somebody all the time. And um, I really feel bad for the people who perhaps live with the family in a, you know, just maybe just a small apartment. That's a whole lot of togetherness. And um, I think one of the ways that we tend to, you know, blow off steam when we're, you know, a little aggravated or disappointed with the person is to get a little distance. And right now it's kind of hard to go a little distance. So I think we're all being called upon to be, um, hopefully, um, patient and tolerant and forgiving. But you know it 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 isn't easy, and it certainly isn't easy if if you're in a relationship that has been you know disappointing, yeah, 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 we know um you know when it comes to you know disappointing relationships, I mean we all have um I wouldn't say we all, but <laughs> I would say much of everyone has had. <laughs> at some point, um, a toxic relationship, a relationship that is just not good. It's not good for one's well-being. Um, so, um, you know, is there, um, when, it, when it comes time to letting go of, of those kinds of relationships, uh, any, any advice? <laughs> you know, I mean, because it's, mm. sometimes they're, they're family. I mean, like, you know, I would think, yeah, that, you know, yeah. Sometimes parents, you know, um, yeah, yeah, kind of classic parents can be a real challenge. Yep. Um, so, um, when, when it comes to just first of all, let's talk about you know the idea that there are relationships that are to- literally toxic to to us. Um, I would think. I mean, because what doesn't it affect you physically? You know, if it's an emotionally um, destructive or a contrary kind of relationship. Sure. Yeah. And I, I mean, I very much relate to what you're talking about personally, because, you know, my, my mother, um, again, meant no harm, Right. Uh, certainly right. never meant to hurt anybody, mm-hmm. but she, she really was 
damaging to me emotionally. She, again, didn't mean to me, but she was. And so I struggled very much myself with what do I do, um, balancing the, uh, what I felt were the obligations of being a, you know, an adult child to my mother who mm-hmm. was growing older, and then also you know, a recognition that virtually every time I saw my mother, she said or did something that was very painful. So um, for, for myself, what I, what I came to was um, the, the understanding that it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Buddhist principle. So the Buddhists believe that um, you know, we should not do harm to any living creature and that that's, we're not supposed to harm any living creature. But what the Buddhists also say is that that includes us. That includes ourselves. So as much as we're not supposed to do harm to other living creatures, we're also not supposed to let other living creatures harm us. And that, was what, that concept really helped me um, to try to kind of balance out doing what I could for my mom, you know, being yeah, there when right. I could, doing what I could, what I felt that I had to or what she truly needed, with also the idea like it's okay to take care of me. Like, in fact, I'm a living creature, too. <laughs> and, and, and if I am hurt and wounded and being, um, well, deeply emotionally wounded, that also matters. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I, I know that it's, I mean, I personally, when it's come time for me to release some relationships that I, you know, that were toxic, it, it, it was difficult, um, but you know, in the long run, I just felt that it was in both of our self-interest to, you know, yeah. to not have a relationship, to not have that connection, you know, and and, um, and it was okay, you know. I mean, it's like you know, some people, I mean, people are you come in alone, you even go out alone, you know, and people are there for mm-hmm. a certain period of time, you know. Um, Mm-hmm. Maybe a yeah. maybe a sentence in your book, maybe a chapter or two in your book of life, but um, yeah, but the chapter ends at some point. Yeah, and yeah. and I think you know what you're saying relates to something else I talk about in the book, which is the idea that you know not every relationship is going to be good and healthy. Some are and some aren't, and we all of us tend to cling to. Um, cling to people, even if they're not necessarily great for us. And when we do that, we may be overlooking the people who are great for us. Mm. And we we tend to yeah. concentrate more on the relationships that are disappointing, as opposed to looking around us and saying, "But look, I've, look at this wonderful friend here," and and mm. and allowing ourselves to really enjoy and be nurtured by those relationships. So I think. Yeah. I think it's really good to focus on noticing who's healthy for us and who we are healthy right. for, as opposed to pouring all of our resources trying to make an unhealthy relationship work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you get off the phone with someone and you're feeling drained and angry and <laughs> tired or, you yeah. know, that's not a good yeah. thing. You know, if you get off the yeah. phone, you know, you know, we're having laughed so much, you know, that, that you're, you have smile lines, that that's a good thing. And, you know, everybody's yeah. going to be annoying or draining now and then. But if that's what you <laughs> yeah. get all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Well, guys, we're, we're about um, ready to, to close the show. So, um, Lisa, is there okay. maybe um, any final word? Well, first of all, I do want to you know let everybody know that if I go to your website, you've got you know information about you know the, the services that you provide, about the book, endorsements, um, speakers, articles. There's a whole bunch of stuff at your website that people can can go to and, and explore. Um, so. Is there maybe any final words for listeners out there um, from the flashback girl <laughs> about, uh, <laughs> you know, things that we can think about? Yeah, I mean, you know, I would say that I have tried to take these life experiences I've been through, which have been hard and challenging, and turn them into a really good story and some hopefully some hope and inspiration for people that they can um, read and be entertained and also feel like will help them get them through a dark time. So that's my hope is, you know, take a look, look up flashback girl or at least a year. And, um, and I hope that I can be of help. Great. Well, thank you. And I appreciate you spending the time with us. And I, I, by the way, I've liked your Facebook page and also started following you on Instagram. So I look forward to, to awesome. kind of keeping in touch. And um, thank again, you. I'll thank you for you. your time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. All right. All right. Thank, thank you so much for having me today. You're, you're very welcome. Again, everyone, today my very special guest has been Dr. Elise Degier. And we have been talking about her new book, Flashback Girl, Lessons on Resilience, from a burn survivor. And again, you can find out more by visiting her website, which is www.lisedegear.com. And that's L-I-S-E-D-E-G-U-I-R-E.com. So everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, visit our homepage at ByteRadio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.